Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself in your word. And as we read these um, these wonderful words today, these powerful words, uh, we pray that um, you would soften our hearts to hear them, uh, not just with our ears and our brains, but with uh, with our hearts. Help us to take in deeply uh, your word today, and please change us for your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Reading from Isaiah 65, beginning at verse 17. The Sovereign Lord says, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a 100 will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people, my chosen ones, will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labour in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favour, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. But whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a person. And whoever offers a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. Whoever makes a grain offering is like one who presents pig's blood. And whoever burns memorial incense is like one who worships an idol. They have chosen their own ways and they delight in their abominations. So I also will choose harsh treatment for them. I will bring on them 
what they dread. For when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, no one listened. They did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. Chapter 66 from 22. As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. From one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. And they will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. The worms that eat them will not die. The fire that burns them will not be quenched. And they will be loathsome to all mankind. Thank you, Meredith. Do that. Uh, you probably picked up there are glorious and sobering things in this passage. Um, so let me pray again. We need the Lord's help. Our Father, this is the one whom you look on with favour, the one who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at your word. Forgive us for our pride. Oh Lord, humble our hearts before you. Uh, and we pray that you might teach us to trust you, that you are good. And that all that you offer and have for us is wonderful. And so we pray now for humble and receptive hearts as we think about uh, these glorious things. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've had a bit of a week, uh, as you can probably see. I wasn't here last week because last weekend I'd injured my hand. Uh, I had a bit of a fracture in here. Um, and I don't even have a good story for it. That's the... Um, that's the kind of thing I'm most, well, one of the things I'm most annoyed about. I don't even have a really good story. I was trying to think what a good story might be, like, you know, I was apprehending a villain down the street or something, or trying out a really impossible guitar chord and snap, you know? <laughs> uh, but no, no, all I was, I'll just say it now so everyone knows, all, all I was doing was leaning back in the car, hooked my ring finger around a, a bag that was wedged, a heavy bag wedged in the back seat, pulled up really hard, bag did not move. Bone didn't like it. So, you know, that's it. Uh, I, I'm in for an operation to get a plate put in on Tuesday, so love your prayers uh, for that. And thank you for all those who have um, shown such concern over the last week. But uh, it's, a, it's been a little reminder to me, right, uh, just how fragile we are, how one moment anything like this can happen to any of us. And not just like this is minor, right, compared to what can happen to any of us at any time. Just how fragile we are. So our, our broken bones, uh, to me, they're, they're kind of a little reminder that we live in a broken world, right? It's been a good reminder for me that. Uh, and actually, each of us know that. Each of us know that in deep ways, in ways that trouble our own hearts and our spirits. So we're wrapping up the book of Isaiah today. What a journey it's been. Uh, we've been in this book for uh, a few years now, I think. Uh, and we've come right to the end, the last couple of chapters. Uh, Isaiah is just a majestic uh, part of the Bible. Uh, these last chapters bring the whole book to this beautiful fulfillment. 
So there's all these themes that have been woven all the way through that come to their fulfillment here. But in the backdrop, in the backdrop of what we're talking about today, is this broken world. This broken world is the question of what is God going to do about all the mess and all the pain and all the evil that we experience in this world. Because it's not just a broken world. What we've seen through Isaiah is it's a fallen world. A world not, not, not that's just broken, a world that's stained by sin, uh, full of people who are in rebellion against their creator. Uh, all the brokenness of this world, the Bible says, finds its ultimate source in that rebellion of humanity against God. And there's this shock as we've read through Isaiah. There's this shock that um, comes through as you read it. And the shock is uh, that it's not only the world out there that's in rebellion against God. God's chosen people in the Old Testament, Israel, they're in rebellion against him too. After everything that he did for them. Uh, that's the, it's a big shock as you read through Isaiah. And it's a big theme. So Isaiah, I don't know if you remember this, but right back at the very beginning of Isaiah, Isaiah opens up with Isaiah calling the heavens and the earth to listen in to what God is about to say. And here, as we get to the end, the heavens and the earth are on view again. Except this time, it's not talking about this fallen world like it was at the beginning. Here, what we're looking at is the new glorious world that God promises to create. It's a beautiful vision. It's a stunning vision. But there is, and you would have seen this on the way through, there is still that sort of shadow backdrop, that shadow side that's still here. Um, in fact, as Isaiah ties things up, he wants us to be really clear that this fallen world in rebellion against him is under his just judgment. It has no future and if you think, how could it? How could it, ha how could it have any... When God alone is the source of light and of life, if you cut yourself off from him, all that's left is death and darkness. It's so important. It's, it's actually the very last thing Isaiah writes in this book. It's a bit of a strange way to end, don't you think? I kind of think, you know, if it was me writing it, I probably wouldn't do that. But this is so important for Isaiah that he finishes with this really sobering thing that we, we, we can't leave if we're going to do justice to what it says here. The very last verse of the book, 66 verse 24. Uh, as, and you would have heard it as Meredith read it. I'll read it again. Um, it's a, an uncomfortable thing to read. And they will go out and look on the dead, pod, the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. The worms that eat them will not die. The fire that burns them will not be quenched. And they will be loathsome to all mankind. It is a horrible picture, isn't it? And it's meant to be. It's meant to be. Not as a kind of manipulative kind of scare tactic. That's not what's going on. It's a description of reality. This is the end of the road that we're all walking down, the road away from, cut off from God, away from him and his blessings. That's the end of the road. And Isaiah is clear, he's also clear about this, that this end point, it's not an injustice. No one will be able to look at God on the last day and claim that he's done the wrong thing. This horrible destination is just, and it's something we've brought on ourselves. 
It's a path that in our pride we have chosen. So back in uh, 66 verse 3, we read this. They have chosen their own ways and they delight in their abominations. So I will choose, also will choose harsh treatment for them. And he goes on. They've chosen their own ways. If you remember back in chapter 53, uh, that was the description. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. This is at the heart of the human, of what is wrong with this world, this fallen world. Um, and it's so important to that we hear this. Uh, the author C.S. Lewis put it really memorably like this, should be on the screen, when talking about these sobering things. The damned are, in one sense, successful, rebels to the end. They enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved. Friends, our society is all about choosing your own way. Demanding the freedom to define and create yourself. Uh, in a way, it, it, uh, that's how things actually have always been in this fallen world. Isaiah, this is what you get through in Isaiah. So it's not a new thing. In a way, that is actually the essence of what the Bible calls sin. A proud rejection of God. A grasping after the right to define good and evil for ourselves. Isaiah, what Isaiah shows us is that that freedom that we grasp at, what, what is, as C.S. Lewis puts it there, it's a horrible freedom, an enslaving freedom that doesn't, it doesn't give us what we, long, we look for. It doesn't satisfy us. A freedom that ultimately leads to that end point that we read before. Ultimately leads to hell. No wonder, friends, it is. I know this is a heavy way to start. Stick with us. No wonder that Isaiah cries out in chapter 64. The start of chapter 64, he cries out this. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Oh, that you would rend the, rend the heavens and come down to us. That is the cry of every person who is confronted with the reality of this fallen world. So Isaiah faces this darkness of this world. And we, we can't do justice to his book. We can't understand his book unless we face that too. But the main emphasis in these chapters, and what I want to kind of draw our attention to now, is on God's wonderful alternative. God's wonderful alternative that you are welcomed into and invited into that all of us can have our, have our share in. 65 verse 17 says this, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. And when, we, when you think about heaven, you, we probably tend to think of something like this. There should be a picture come up. That's probably what, what lots of us think about when we think about heaven. Um, floating around on clouds with a few harps kind of disembodied spirits. And uh, Des last week re re mentioned this as well, reflected on it. The Bible's hope for the future is not this. It's not disembodied spirits floating on clouds. It's much better. Not a kind of disembodied heaven as we think of it, but a new heavens and a new earth, a whole new creation. This, this cosmos, this world renewed, perfected. 
God cares and loves, cares for and loves this world, this material world he's created. And his great saving plan is going to sweep up the whole created order. Earth is going to be more earthier than it's ever been. We will be more human than we've ever been. Uh, and, and the first thing about this new creation that Isaiah pictures, that, uh, that he highlights, I think is just wonderful. Back to verse 17. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. What a hope, the former things. He's talking about there all of the suffering, all of the sin, all of the guilt and shame, all the mourning and crying, all the pain, all the times you've stuffed up, all the times other people have stuffed up. Everything that's wrong with this world, everything that characterizes this fallen world. You notice what it says? It's not just that they're not going to be present in this new creation. They won't even be remembered. They, won't even, they will be totally forgotten. They won't even come... To, your mind will be so taken up with something far more glorious, they won't even come into your mind. And if we've been with Isaiah through this book, if we've been with him, heard the story he's been weaving, we'll, we'll know that this is all because of, as Steve mentioned before, it's all because of the servants. Uh, this servant who would come and die for the sins of his people, who would rise again as God's chosen king, it's all because of Jesus. He opens the door to this joyful feast. So all the pain and sorrow and suffering is not even a distant memory. Friends, do you want that? Do you want that? Yes, of course you do. Of course you do. All of us want that. As you think about your past, your yesterday, to have every stain completely washed away, to have every hurt completely healed, everything covered by God's amazing grace. Well, Isaiah looked forward to a day when that longing that is in your heart would become an absolute wonderful reality. It's a grace-filled yesterday that Isaiah talks about. But not only that, he looks forward to this glory-filled tomorrow. This glory-filled tomorrow. Uh, primarily the glory of this new creation is going to be God's glory. That's what you get through these chapters. So uh, Meredith read this at the start of chapter 66, this this incredible um, image of God. The Lord says, heaven is my throne, the, the earth is my footstool. So you kind of see God with his, with his feet resting up on the earth. That's how awesome he is. It's, it's, it's um, poetic language, right? But you get the picture. Uh, Where's the house you'll build for me? Where's my resting place? Has not my hand made all these things? So they come into being. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. So this, this, this new creation is going to be a place full of where God is glorified as he should be and is seen and known in all his majesty. You see this again down in verse 18 of chapter 66. 
God says, and I, because of what they've planned and done, am about to come and gather the people of all nations and languages. So there's this global gathering of people and they will see my glory. It's this stunning glory filled tomorrow, but God's glory is not like ours so often is. God's glory is not a kind of self-seeking glory that keeps itself to itself. Uh, God's glory flows out with unlimited blessing to his people. Uh, that's what you see is you keep, we share in it. And, and that, that's the kind of, that's, that first passage that Meredith read is what that's all about. We're going to share in this glory of God. Uh, let's look at it from verse 17 onwards. Uh, this is going to be a, a reality, a future where there will be no more sin in God's people. Uh, they will always bring delight to God. Verse 18, what does he say? Be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. The people of God will delight and joy, be a joy to, to our God. There will be no more sin. There will be no more weeping in verse 19. Uh, I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. This new creation will be a place where you will not cry again. Don't you want that? Not only that, there'll be no more death. Verse 20, never again will, will there be in it an infant who lives for a few days, an old man who doesn't live out his years. One who dies at 100 will be thought a mere child. So that's a great image, isn't it? So, you know, you can imagine um, church in the new creation. There won't be church, because, but you just imagine, go with me. And we say, okay, all you hundred-year-olds, it's now time to go out to kids' church, okay? You know, like, <laughs> uh, the one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered a curse. I, I think what, what's going on here, I think Isaiah's using a bit of poetic license here. He's painting this picture of that death is not going to interrupt our lives like, like it does right now. Um, Isaiah has already talked about this coming day. Back in chapter 5, he's already talked about it as the day when death itself will be swallowed up. There will be no more death. Death will be no more in this new creation. Then you read on. That's incredible, huge stuff, right? Then you, keep, then you read on and it zooms down into the ordinary everydayness of life. Verse 21 They'll build houses and dwell in them. They'll plant vineyards and eat their fruits. No, no longer will they build houses others live in, plant for others to eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. So you get this picture of ordinary life that's perfected and joyful and fulfilling. A life of purpose, verse 23. They will not labor in vain. How often do you feel like you're laboring in vain? The things that you put all your effort into, is it, that, that's not going to be an experience for you in this new creation. Nor will they bear ch children doomed to misfortune. They will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. You keep reading and then this, this blessing of the Lord shows itself in this incredible intimate relationship. Verse 24 you, the, the God's people have such an intimate relationship with him that before they call, God says, before they even call, I will answer. While they're still speaking, I'll hear them. And it's an image of complete peace. 
and harmony. That's, again, these poetic images at the end there. Verse 25, the wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. And here's an interesting thing, isn't it? The dust will be the serpent's food. The final reversal of Genesis chapter 3, <laughs> that the serpent's head will be crushed. Um, dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains. It's this image of complete harmony of creation in, at peace of everything reconciled. So how are we going? I, I, there's one more theme, one more major theme in these chapters that I want to draw out for us before we kind of draw things together. Uh, as he's describing all of this, uh, Isaiah goes on. So we've got this grace-filled past, this glory-filled future. As he's describing all these things, Isaiah also presents this really interesting, does this really interesting thing. He, he paints this picture of this global movement of God's people taking the good news of what he will do to the nations all around. Uh, you get that in verse, uh, chapter 66, verse 18, towards the end there. It says this, um, And I, because of what they have planned and done, and we've already read this, I'm about to come and gather all the, the people of all nations and languages. They'll come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them, and I will send some of those who survived to the nations, to Tarshish, to the Libyans, to Lydians, and Lydians, famous as archers, to Tubal and Greece, and to the distant islands, even Australia, that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. They will proclaim my glory among the nations. So you get what Isaiah is saying here. This, all wrapped up with this new creation is going to be this incredible up till now the nations have been able to come and be part of god's people but they've had to come to come in this is going to be an explosion outwards a great global gospel movement that isaiah pictures here okay how how do we process all of this this was isaiah's vision of this incredible future that he looked ahead to of a time when that God's people would have a grace-covered um, yesterday, uh, a glory-filled tomorrow, and um, a, a, what was it, a gospel-filled today, a, a mission-driven today. What about, how does this all relate to us? There's this really stunning claim in the New Testament. It's a stunning claim, especially if you know Isaiah. And the claim is this, that in some real and transforming way, this new creation that Isaiah is talking about, this new creation has already arrived. It's broken into our fallen world. God did rend the heavens and come down to save his people. God's servant did come and suffer and die in our place and did rise again as king over an eternal kingdom the feast of Isaiah 55 has begun. Uh, you read this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. That is an incredible thing to say, right? If you, if you have new creation, Isaiah's new creation in mind, the claim being made there is stunning. It's astonishing. New creation now. So friends, I want to ask us, as you look around now, like as we kind of gather and we, we mingle together as God's people, you can look around at your brothers and sisters here. Uh, as, you look, as you look around at your church family, what do you see? Uh, according to the world's standards, 
Uh, we're a pretty small and unimpressive bunch, I would say. But here's what God sees. Here's what you can see through the eyes of faith. Our church family is actually in Christ, God's glorious new creation, bursting into this fallen world. That's, the, that's what is going on here. A gathering of forgiven people who by God's spirit have been reconciled to himself and to each other, who are covered by his grace through the death of Jesus, who have a bright hope secured by Jesus' resurrection from the dead, who have purpose and meaning in this world as we bear witness to the glorious comfort and hope and peace of the gospel. So the new creation is here now in Christ. It's beginning to bear its fruit in in Christ's body, in his church. But of course, it's not yet here in all its fullness, right, is it? Uh, there's that now and that not yetness to the new creation. We're still waiting for Jesus to return and make everything new and judge. Uh, but that day is as certain as Jesus' resurrection from the dead. So, friends, as you experience life in this fallen world, I want to urge you to keep your heart fixed on this new creation. This new creation. If you're not yet trusting in Christ, if you haven't yet come to him, turning from your sin and trusting in him, the path you're on, Isaiah, God's word has to say to you today, the path you're on has a terrible ending, but you don't need to go there. God calls you and welcomes you and beckons you to come back to himself today today so will you let go of your pride it is the humble and contrite in spirit who God looks on with favor on whom he pours out his grace but if you are in him then this vision friends is just what we need to sustain us as we live in this world and to give us a joy that can be found nowhere else. You know that the world is broken, right? We have little tokens of that every now and again, but big and small, and we all know it. This world has fallen. And I reckon actually, um, probably over the last year, there's been more pain and suffering, sin and sickness, uh, than in it, within our church family, than I think I can remember, actually. Uh, there, there seems to have been lots of really significant things happening for lots of people. And Isaiah's glorious message is the refocus that we all need. The refocus we all need. What does God, in the light of all of this, what does God tell us is the right response? What does God tell us, invite us to do, uh, exhort us to do? Uh, that's always actually a really helpful thing to look for. If you're reading through a Bible passage, you think, how does this apply to me? Well, try and have a look in the passage itself if it, if it tells you. Uh, and, and there is this one verse in, in what was read out today that where actually we are told what the right response to all this is. 
Uh, it's chapter 65, verse 18. God says, what's the kind of response to all this? Be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. If we, if we get this, if we get Isaiah's vision of the new creation fulfilled in Christ and not yet fulfilled but will come, if we get that, this is the outworking by God's spirit that he can do in your heart to be glad and to rejoice forever in what he will create. Perhaps you're growing cold towards God and his people. Perhaps you feel like giving up. God says to you today, be glad and rejoice in what he will create. This is the certain future of the world. Ask God to retune your heart so that your heart more and more lines up with his, with where he's taking things. Keep going. Run the race to its end. Maybe you're struggling with sin and guilt and shame. And God says to you today, be glad and rejoice in what I will create. There is grace through the servant's death on your behalf. There is abundant, never-ending grace that can cover you and a day is coming when, if you have turned from your sin and trusted in Christ, the former things will be remembered no more. Let that grace train you towards godliness here and now. Maybe there's some of us here who just feel kind of lost, like without direction, without purpose in life. And God says to you, be glad and rejoice in what I will create Friends, God is glorified. There's beautiful images that we read about, wasn't there? God is glorified as you live your everyday, ordinary life under his good hand, under his rule, as you build your houses and plant your vineyards. Uh, in Christ, your labor is not in vain. And what's more, you have good news. You have good news to share with this world, a gospel that the nations need to hear and a church family to give yourself in service to as we do that together. Maybe you're discouraged, anxious, weary. God says to you, be glad and rejoice, not in your circumstances, uh, not in what you have created or what you have failed to create. Be glad and rejoice in what God will create. Keep asking God to help you fix your eyes, fix your heart on him and what his new creation will be so that you do not grow weary and lose hearts. One more, maybe you're facing sorrow and sickness and pain and death. And God says, again, be glad and rejoice, not in your circumstances, but in what he will create. There is a glory-filled future waiting for you and for all who trust in Jesus. Be glad and rejoice, brothers and sisters, in what God has created in Christ, what he is creating now in his church, and what he will create fully and finally on the last day. Let me pray. Isaiah writes this in chapter 40. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. 
Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Capture our hearts, O God, with this glorious comfort of your new creation. It is as certain as Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And it is wonderful. Our Father, I pray for each and every one of us here today. May you work in our hearts by your spirit to open up your word to us so that what Isaiah looked forward to and what we have seen in Jesus might become a living reality in our lives so that we might know that our yesterday is covered by your grace, our tomorrow is filled with your glory and our today uh, is caught up in the wonderful the wonderful good news of your gospel. So do that among us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.